Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Great. Well, I am excited as I approach this talk. As Dave said, it's pray, serve, and give. And as I begin to form a talk around this and not around Ruth, um, I was reminded of a story when I was a teenager. Because when I was a teenager, I went along to a youth event. Now, the youth event was called Enjoy. Now, we didn't have the E in the Enjoy because it was a youth event. We just lobbed off the E and it was just Enjoy because it was youth and we were cool. Oh, we thought it was cool at the time. So this, this event, Enjoy, was a great event. It attracted people uh, from all over Cumbria, different youth groups. They would come, they would bring their unchurched friends, they would bring school friends, they would come along, there'd be worship, there'd be a talk, there'd be a response, and I loved what they did. They decked out this old church building and made it look really contemporary, and I was just really inspired by this youth, youth event. And I remember being there and trying to work out what am I going to do with my future, what it's going to look like as I finish my exams and so on. And I remember praying to God at this youth event, and I said, God, I just want to serve at this youth event. Like, I don't know what it looks like, I don't know how you do it, but I just want to give to this youth event. Like, I just think it would be awesome if I could somehow be part of this, this youth, youth event. And I, and I even got a bit specific, and I don't know why I prayed this, but I said, Lord, I'll do anything. Like, it doesn't have to be at the front. Uh, I, can be, I can be serving in, in any way. I can be cleaning up. I can be locking up. I can do whatever. And then I said, Lord, even if it's like mopping up vomit, like, I don't care. I just want to be at it. I want to serve at it. I want to be there. I don't know why I prayed it. But anyway, years later, I became a Christian schools worker. And I was working in primary schools and secondary schools and so on. Guess what part of the job was to actually co-lead this event, which I later discovered I hadn't quite joined the dots. And it was an amazing thing to be involved in this youth event, involved in serving and giving to it and, and pouring myself out for it. And I remember the first ever youth event that I was involved in. I really loved it. It was a great night until the very end of the night. Because at the very end of the night, I realized I had to lock up the church. And we had to usher everybody out and shoo them out. And it was a late night already. Then we had to take down all the decorations and make it look like a, a normal church again. And then we had to sweep through and so on. It was getting later and later and later. And right at the very end of the night, as I was about to lock up, I found vomit. <laughs> like you couldn't write it. And I remember seeing it and smell it, smelling it, and I remember thinking there's pineapple chunks in there, and that is just disgusting. It stinks, and I've never been able to eat pineapple chunks since. But then I remembered the prayer. Lord, I'll do anything. I'll do anything to serve at this event, even if it's mopping up vomit. So I went and got a mop. I held my breath, 
and I mopped up the vomit that night. As Dave said, this week we are looking at what it might mean to serve and to give, to pray for P's and G's, Jesus, his church, and all that he is doing. And last week, Dave laid out the vision. He talked about where we've been, where we've journeyed so far, but also said that actually the future is yet to be discovered. It's unfolding before our eyes as Jesus is doing what he is doing in front of us, and we get to play. But we're aware that a church of 900 people that would come regularly to P's and G's, it's quite easy to get lost. It's quite easy just to rock up on a Sunday and do the surface conversations, not really go too deep, and to slip out the back, and actually not to feel part of a family, part of what is going on in the church. And I've found, and we've found, that actually it's easier, and it's, it's easy to feel like you belong to something and what God is doing when you serve, when you give, when you put your heart in it, when you join a team. Often, when you talk to people, you say, oh, it was when I joined a team that I started to get to know people in the church. Because you journey week by week. You see the same people at the same thing. You have these conversations, and it really helps. And let's be honest, as people, we all want to belong, don't we? Brené Brown, who's an author and a speaker, she says this, A deep sense of love and belonging is an irreducible need of all people. We are biologically, cognitively, physically, and spiritually wired to love, to be loved, and to belong. Well, as we unpack uh, this scripture that Christine read out for us, Romans, uh, it's my hope that we feel inspired by the person of Jesus, that we feel inspired to want to belong to something greater, something bigger that God is doing, that we want to pray and serve and give to the heart, to the vision, to all that God is doing here at P's and G's. So let me unpack the text then. Romans 12. It's worth saying, actually, that at this point to where he got to Romans 12, Paul is basically talking about all the things that he's previously written. So from chapters 1 through to 11 and then getting to 12, he's basically saying all the stuff that I've mentioned in the previous chapters, because of all that stuff, I therefore encourage you to do dot, dot, dot. So he's basically landing uh, all of the previous chapters by starting chapter 12 by saying, therefore. It's a bit weird, isn't it, to start a verse, therefore, You've got to look back and say, well, what do you mean, therefore? And in Scripture, you often see, especially in the Gospel, you see these little key words like, yet. And it's like, da-da-da-da-da, yet. Or da-da-da-da, but. Yeah, 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 therefore. And this is a key moment because Paul is summarizing, he's looking back and he's saying, in these previous chapters, I've told you what Jesus is like, how he served and loved people, and what he's done for you on the cross. Therefore, I want you to live accordingly. He's reminding people that we've been set free from sin. It's like, guys, take a look at what Jesus has done. Like, we're free people. We're free people. He concludes it by effectively, effectively by saying this. All the stuff that I've talked about, I exhort you. I, I, I really, I urge you. I can't give enough emphasis here. Because of this, let it shape your life. Let your future be something different because of all that Jesus has done, which I've just spoken about in the previous verses. So I'm going to draw a couple of, uh, highlight a few uh, words actually in this text. And the first is what I've said is therefore. 
He's saying because of something, do something. Live a life in response to all that Jesus has done at the cross. All we sing about, all we talk about when we share communion, it's all a celebration and a reminder, oh yeah, of what Jesus did on the cross. Like if you want to know if you're loved, if you want to know that if Jesus loves you, just look at the cross. It's a big, huge reminder that yes, we are loved. Secondly then, he says, I urge you, I urge you. Now this must be given its full weight because it's a little bit more than urge. It's kind of this like a command from like a, a minister or, or a pastor of someone who deeply cares for his people. He's kind of feeling it. He's saying, I exhort you. I, I, I command you. I, I, I almost like, I just, I'm urging you. I'm urging you in this to live your life accordingly. It's a directive, assertive sort of um, word in there. Thirdly then, in view, in view of God's mercy. My wife and I, um, we have an art background and we, we love going to art galleries and we love stepping back and actually just seeing what is in front of us. Sometimes you can't fully take in what it is that you're seeing until you take quite a few steps back and you see the enormity of what's being painted, the picture that's being laid out for you. When you take it in, when you view it, in view of it, it affects how you live, what you see. And the Apostle Paul's saying here, like, take a step back. Look at what's being accomplished on the, on the cross. Take it in. Like, wrestle it down. Get it in a headlock. Grapple it and just take it on board. View it. Look at it. Just grasp what Jesus has done there. And allow that to shape your being. Allow that to shape your life. He's also saying, look, it, it's fine to look back. It's okay to look back. Yes, we move forward. But we need these little reminders on our phones, we have these um, little screensavers, don't we? Maybe it's of your family. Maybe if it's your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your cat um, playing CDs or something, something strange or mixing records on a desk. But we have these pictures on our phone, and it's a little reminder of like, oh, yeah, I belong. Oh, yeah, I'm part of a family. Oh, yeah, that's great. Oh, yeah, I love that person. Oh, yeah, I'm part of, a, of this or of that. They're little reminders. He's saying it's fine to look back, but in light of the picture that I've painted you in the previous chapters. Let it shape how you move forward. Gordon Fee, uh, who was a minister and an author, uh, he used to say this, doxology is the goal of theology. Doxology is the goal of theology. That is, knowledge of the Lord's character and his work should inspire heartfelt worship. Doxology is the goal for theology. When you see it, when you understand it, when you grasp it, when you view it, when you swallow it, when you digest it, allow that to shape your life, but, but let it turn into worship. Let all that Jesus has done be um, a, a worship in your body as you kind of experience what he's done. The Apostle Paul's saying that we see all that Jesus has done through Scripture. We look at it and we appreciate it. We appreciate it. It's not there to condemn us and say, oh, yeah, you know, God, yeah, you did do that, didn't you? I feel so bad. Like, oh, yeah, you did go to the cross. That's just awful, isn't it? Like, it's not there to make us feel like a worm and feel condemned. It's there to inspire us, like self-giving, sacrificial love, like to lay someone's, lay a life down for someone. Like, that's inspiring. That is incredible. Take a good look at it, view it, and move forward with that knowledge.
My wife and I spent some time in New Zealand before we moved here, and it was amazing to get to know the Maori culture, the Maori people over in New Zealand, and getting to know some of the people and and then becoming friends and talking to them and saying, hey, how does the Maori people, how does the Maori culture see life? How do they understand and interpret the things that we do? Is there anything that they might do that might be different? And I came across this amazing thought that the Maori people encourage people to walk the future backwards. They walk the future backwards. So when they're introduced to someone or when they're having this conversation, the first thing that a Maori person wants to know is, hey, where's your land? Like which, which volcano was it that, that you guys gathered around? Where, you, you kind of, where, where was your ground? Where was your land? Where's your history? Where's your ancestors? What's your story? And they kind of work from there. And the kind of thought is really, is that we are all walking through life backwards. We look to our past to inform the way we move into the future. So the Apostle Paul is asking us to do the same. He's saying, hey, guys, look at what's just gone on. Look at, look at what's just happened. Like, j- don't miss that. Don't miss that because it, it, it's life and death. Take a look at that and, and then just, just walk into that reality. Live that life that, that God has laid out for you. Walk into that life that's been laid out for you. Take a good look at it. Let it inform you, inspire you, and move forward. Finally then, uh, in my things that I'm going to be drawing out for now, is, is this thing of living sacrifices. Offer your body as a living sacrifice. Now, it's important to um, get the the context and the understanding of this. People that would offer sacrifices, dead sacrifices on altars, blood sacrifices, and so on. And Paul's using this language, and he's saying, offer yourselves as a, not a dead sacrifice on the altar, not like a one-time sacrifice, but a living sacrifice. In other words, it's a continual sacrifice thing that you do. You don't say, oh, there was one time years ago where I gave my life to Jesus. I did that really great thing. I haven't really done anything of it, uh, since, but it was a one-time great sacrifice that I gave. He's saying, no, we are living sacrifices. So each day we present ourselves before God. We offer ourselves each and every day as living sacrifices, an ongoing, continuous thing. We are living sacrifices. So our living sacrifices could be played out in the following, in how we pray, in how we serve, and in how we give. I'm going to conclude with the three subjects, pray, serve, and give, and the first of which, obviously, is prayer. I've found that over the years, when you begin to pray for something, your heart sometimes catches up with you. So I I felt called to, to New York. It felt like it was the right thing to do, but kind of, to be honest, on my way there, I was like, I don't really kind of understand why. I don't fully get it. But kind of as I began to pray about it and pray about the calling and pray about the people, as I set foot in it and begin to pray for the land and the, and the people, I found that my heart just caught up with me, that my heart almost fell in love with it, that my heart enlarged for it. And I would say, as we pray for the church, that God gives us a heart for his church. As we pray for the people, that God allows our heart to open up. And it's important as people that we pray for the church. My encouragement would be to, if you don't, just start by saying, Lord, bless P's and G's. Just, just bless P's and G's. If you pray for a list of people, maybe family, why don't you add P's and G's to the list of family members that you pray for, your spiritual family. 
pray for the church. It's important that we commit these things to God. It's been amazing um, seeing the prayer room. Uh, just recently, we've had a week of prayer where people have come and just poured themselves out, given some of their time to pray for the church and uh, other things that's going on around the world and our mission partners and so on. And it's been so inspiring. As a staff team, we went there and we spent our lunchtime just in there, just, just praying. And it was amazing to see, amazing to be. And then so many of the people here at Peace and Jesus have given that, given their time to pray for the church. It's incredible. I'd encourage you to come along to Kingdom Come to pray for the church and to, to listen. Prayer is a two-way thing, isn't it? it? We listen to God as well as pray, but listen to God. God, what are you saying? What are you saying to me here at your church? What are you saying to the wider church? Pray for Alpha as it comes up, as Dave's mentioned on Wednesday, the launch. Just be praying. Let's be a community of people that pray. Come for prayer on a Sunday. Like, let, let's not come and leave having not been prayed for. If there's something you need prayer for, like we believe prayer changes things. Come and get prayer. Often a line's drawn in the sand. Often people look back and say, actually it was that evening, it was that morning where I gave that to God and we begin to pray about that, that things started to change and shift. I encourage you to receive prayer, to get prayer, to pray for the church and to keep on praying. Prayer is important. There's a, a famous um, 19th century um, evangelist, a guy that was called D.L. Moody amazing guy. And I heard this story recently. It's a true story. D.L. Moody prayed for a hundred of his unchurched friends every day. He wrote a list of a hundred people that he prayed for every day. And he prayed that they would come to faith. He prayed that they would get to know Jesus. He prayed that they would see what's been done on the cross for them. And he prayed continuously, passionately, committed to the course, committed to prayer. When he died, somebody found that list, list of 100 people, and they went through the list, and they did the research, and they found that 96 of the people on his list had become a Christian. The other four became a Christian at his funeral. So committed to prayer, so committed to the course that we Pray for our friends. You know, before we talk to our friends about God, maybe we should talk to God about our friends. Begin by praying for them. Lord, I, I, I want to invite them to, to this, but Lord, would you bless them? Father, would you help them at uni? Lord, would you just help me with my friendship with him? Would you just help me to know how to pray for them? Okay, let's do serve. Jesus is the king of this, isn't he? Like we see in the Gospels, Jesus serving. Like, just how he welcomes people, like how he hosts people. Seeing people, uh, Libby said this morning, that Jesus saw. Like, he saw people that others didn't. People maybe on the margin, people that were maybe up a tree, people that were kind of hidden. Jesus saw people. He was the, the king of welcoming and hosting. He was the king of hosting food and drink. You see him at parties, turning water into wine and doing incredible things around food and drink. He almost had a food ministry. Often it was around a table that he would minister to. You see him ministering to young people and children. You see him feeding the poor or helping people feed the poor as his disciples gave out stuff. You see him leading a small group of 12. You see him offering pastoral care. Like Jesus just did it. He nailed it. You name it, Jesus did it. 
But maybe the famous story that we think about when we think about Jesus serving is when he washed his disciples' feet. Uh, this was a grim job. It, this was just, it was grim. Like Katie and I um, took a team of people to Romania years ago, and we thought it would be a great idea to wash the team's feet. It was like, yeah, let's, let's do it. Hadn't really thought it through. It was quite dusty, quite dirty, quite smelly. And then we kind of quickly realized after saying, you know, we're going to do this. We're going to wash your feet um, a little later on. We realized that we didn't have enough water basins to actually wash their feet. So being creative and trying to improvise, we used wet wipes. And there was this moment where we were flossing in between people's toes with the wet wipes. And you can just picture it. There was verrucas. There was warts. There was dirt. I was kind of looking at Katie thinking, why did we do this? Like, was this a good idea? It's a grim thing to do. Amazing thing to do. But it's not a clean thing. It's not necessarily a pleasurable thing to do. Let me give you the context then of the feet that Jesus was washing. Because in this context, in first century Palestine... The roads were dirty, they were dusty. It wouldn't be uncommon for animal poo and excrement to be all over the floor. It wouldn't be uncommon for, for people's feet to be uh, tired and sweaty and exposed because of the sandals that they were. They'd have been dirt and stuff, and they'd have been caked in mud. Like these would have been dirty feet. They would have been, wouldn't have been nice, sparred feet that smell of uh, aloe vera or anything like that. It would have been a dirty job. It was so bad in that culture and at that time that feet had to be washed before meals. And because um, of the, the tables that people used to eat at, it wasn't these sort of high-rise tables where you could, you could just tuck your dirty feet under the table and kind of eat nicely and so on. The tables that they used in first century Palestine were very low tables. They were down there, which meant you were kind of sitting like this. And your kind of foot's in someone's face pretty much. Your feet are exposed. They're on, on show. You couldn't really get away from it if you had dirty feet. And yet we see the King of Kings, the creator of heaven and earth, coming and kneeling down like a servant, dressing like a servant, doing a job of a servant. Culturally, Jesus could have asked his followers to wash his feet as being a rabbi. He, he could have asked them to wash his feet, but yet this role reversal, we see Jesus humbling himself, washing the feet of his disciples. It's an incredible thing. So therefore, how we serve can be worship. It can be part of our worship. Worship just isn't about singing songs. We know that. Uh, many of you all know Vanessa, who used to work here. I recently uh, found out that her husband, um, Cameron, he has bought himself a litter picker. So he's got this litter picker, and he's literally walking around Walthamstone. He's picking up rubbish. It's not his job. He just walks around. He picks up rubbish. He loves the area that he lives in, and he puts it in a bag. Somebody stopped him and asked him, he said, what on earth are you doing? Why are you doing this? And he said, oh, it's my worship. It's my worship. So we do what we do in response to the goodness of God. So maybe we could serve in such a way that people actually feel like they've been served by Jesus. Like, wouldn't it be awesome if when people arrived at Peace and Jesus and they were welcomed, they had their hands shaken and a smile and so on, wouldn't it be great if they felt like, wow, I was welcomed by Jesus? The teas and the coffees, whatever it is that they feel like in Jesus' house, they met by Jesus. Maybe how we see how we serve needs to shift 
and change a little bit. So, for example, putting out chairs allows space for Jesus to minister. Every chair that's put out is an opportunity for Jesus to change someone's life. Prayerfully holding a crying baby, probably mine, on a morning is an amazing opportunity for you to be praying over that baby, just quietly in your spirit. But it also provides an opportunity for the tired parent to meet with Jesus, kid-free. Serving coffee and actually eyeballing somebody when you serve them coffee and saying, I see you. Is that Jesus speaking to them and through them saying, Jesus sees you like you've been served by Jesus this evening? Giving money releases people to do things. It allows God's kingdom to develop and unfold and lives to be changed. There was this guy um, at a homeless uh, mission in London, in Skid Row, and this guy, um, he was basically known as, as they basically said, oh, this guy, you know, we don't hold much hope for him. They'd, they'd kind of tracked his journey, they knew of his story, and he was basically, in people's eyes and his friends' eyes, like, he's, he's going to be on the street for the rest of his life, like he was destined to kind of be there. But this guy, Bill, became a Christian, and the community around him were watching Bill slowly be transformed. His life slowly turned around. Bill began to serve at everything there. He was mopping up, he was cleaning toilets, he was doing everything like he just couldn't stop him. And he did it with such amazing joy and passion, like he loved it. And he was inspiring to the, the community, to the guests, to the team, to the leaders. They were like, wow, that's an amazing gift that Bill's got there. Like, what a transformation from where he was, where he was heading and where he is now. And the community around, they loved Bill. They were like, wow, Bill's like, he's just got such a great heart. Like, he's come from such a dark place. Like, look at him now. Like, God's done incredible things for him. And people loved and knew Bill and talked about Bill. And this one day, uh, a traveling preacher came, and uh, he did the whole kind of like altar call thing. He talked to her about Jesus, and he said, oh, I'd love you to come forward and, and respond and, you know, just, just give your life to, to Jesus, and it would be great if you could just come forward. And this one poor guy stumbles out of his chair. He finds himself to the front. He falls down on his knees, and he's just weeping and weeping. And this guy had been inspired by Bill. He'd seen what Jesus had done in Bill's life. He'd seen the transformation. He'd seen how Bill serves. And he was like, I just think Bill's incredible. This poor broken man at the base of the stage is weeping. And he's saying, oh, Lord, I just want to be like Bill. Make me more like Bill. Lord Jesus, if I could be like Bill, please, Lord. Lord, just make me more like Bill. And the traveling preacher, a little bit embarrassed, was kind of like, excuse me, son, I, I, Sorry, but uh, don't you mean, uh, Lord, please make me more like Jesus? Uh, and this broken man looks up with tear stained face and he looks a bit confused and he says, Jesus, is he like Bill? <laughs> Here at P's and G's, we serve uh, the homeless community every Saturday uh, and the people who are on, on the fringes and the sort of margins of society. And it's an incredible thing. Anne and the volunteers and the team do an amazing thing. We need about 30 people to run Soul Food each week. Saturday gone, we had 95 people here, like queuing up, ready to be served, typically about 100 on a Saturday. It's an incredible thing. Make around 100 pints of tea 
and coffee each week for the guest. A hundred pints of tea and coffee each week. And every year we serve around 7,500 meals. It's an inspiring, incredible thing. Like, could you be part of that? Could your connect group come and serve coffee at that? Wash the dishes at that? Could you give some time to allow God to do his thing? Anne is going to be at the back uh, if you want to know more about that, uh, talking about soul food. Finally then, uh, give. Just imagine um, if Jesus had 900 plus hearts. We're a church of around 900 who come regularly. Imagine if he had our whole hearts. Like I'm talking to myself, like if he had our whole heart. Like a snowflake will melt on your hand. A single snowflake can melt on the hand. But enough snow can stop traffic. It can grind a city to a halt. It can close airports. Imagine the amazing good damage we could do, if you like, in a city if God had 900 hearts fully sold out, given over, surrendered to him. What an amazing thing that might be. During the Crusades, the knights uh, were enlisted to fight for the church. And a knight was required to be baptized. So before they could fight for the church, they had to be baptized. And when they were being baptized, it was a sign of surrender. It was a sign of commitment and loyalty to the church. But it was also a sign of trust in God. The knight was willing to submit to the church. The problem was, in battle, the knight placed his trust in his sword and his ability to use it. And the knight wasn't willing to surrender control, not to anybody, not of the sword. So when they were baptized, they would hold their sword out of the water, signifying that they retained control of the thing that they held. My prayer, my heart would be that we we just don't hold on to stuff too tightly, that we fully surrender to God, that we give God our whole heart, that we're full of love, that fear is cast out, that we're not condemned, but we're inspired, and that we hold nothing out of the water. We all have our equivalents, don't we? It might be our wallet that we hold out the water. It might be our time. It might be our talents. It might be our gifts. It might be our relationships. It might be whatever. You fill in the blanks. But my prayer is that we hold nothing back. We give all to God. We are holy in that verse. We are set apart the whole entire person and this in doing this how we live our lives how we pray how we serve how we give that is worship that's our spiritual act of worship hey i'm going to invite the band to come up and we're just going to sing the chorus uh, of the song the stand and i'd encourage you just to open your heart to god and just to allow god to speak It doesn't matter if you forget anything that I've said or everything that I've said, but just allow the Spirit to speak to you now and to bring to mind what He would want to speak to you about, that we give Him full surrender, full control, that we hand over to God all areas of our lives.